Welcome to the Cali Raw Nutrition Podcast. My name is Brian Dean, and I'm sitting here today with James Pendergast. He is the thought leader and formulator of our formulas here at Cali Raw Nutrition. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the top 10 raw dog food or raw feeding questions that we encounter from our customers. Some of our questions here have been sent in by our loyal customers, and we want to address them here today to try and help everybody become more informed and educated about raw dog food. Our very first question, um, sent in by one of our customers, our new customers, states that her dog has a sensitive stomach, and she wants to know, how will raw dog food help Ah, the sensitive stomach question. You know, sensitive stomach is such a broad term. It's one, there's not going to be one perfect dog food for every single dog out there for every single issue that every dog has. In most cases over time, we have seen that a fresh or raw food diet does help in those cases. Now, certainly if there is a pancreatitis issue, um, that can be problematic, but the consumer or customer wants to look at the overall fat content of that meal. But in most cases, sensitivity can be overcome by maybe gently cooking the Cali Raw a little bit and gradually over time reducing how much heat they're, they're cooking it and make it less cooked till it's in a raw format. But yes, overall, we have seen improvements uh, in sensitivity, certainly with stomach issues, uh, with fresh food. Not every dog every time, but most cases we hear good evidence uh, that it is supported. Excellent. So next question is in regards to allergies. Uh, this customer here states that her dog has been eating a kibble diet for a couple of years and has recently been experiencing pretty severe allergies. And she wants to know how raw dog food could help. Yeah, we hear that all the time. Um, and let's make sure that she's presenting things if she's let me back up so here's a dog that's eating a highly processed highly uh, uh, you know added synthetic vitamins and minerals uh, and their body has become accustomed to that so now when they get a, a fresh food uh, and their body has something that they can recognize and utilize more efficiently um, there's something that we can call detox where it's their body getting rid of the bad to make room for the good Sometimes folks do call that an allergy. Um, allergies actually come into an intolerance versus an allergy, and those are things maybe we can get into in a different podcast. Uh, but we find that if your dog, Randine, for instance, we use you as this customer, uh, ha are, is this person, that once you have an issue with uh, the chicken in the kibble format, once you give them a fresh chicken, they don't have those same reactions. We see that time and time again. But I want to preference everything. Every dog is unique. And, and it's easy, better to go slow than jump right in uh, to help minimize any of those things. But when we do switch to a fresh food diet, like Cali Raw, um, you may or may not uh, see what is known as, as detox. It's really where the body is getting the built-up accumulation of toxins and things out of its system. And that may show up as hot spots. It may show up as a little bit more shedding. So it's the process of getting healthy. They have to get unhealthy to be healthy again. Got it. Okay. And then our next topic, uh, a question that we see often with some of our new customers that turn to Cali Raw is obesity and overweight. And I know this is an epidemic among dogs um, and humans as well. And let's talk a little bit about how raw dog food can help in the weight loss and also just general uh, weight management. 
Yeah, and you're right. Obesity is a not just a, a national issue; it's a global issue. And we've been looking at ways to help impact the that epidemic, if you will, uh, of obesity. And really, a lot of it is coming down to and, and some of the sciences is getting people to read the labels, education. Most folks don't realize their dog is obese, or if they are, they're afraid to acknowledge that. We get that, right? We do care. We don't want to be saying that we're doing something wrong. So following the feeding instructions or guidelines of, of the product can certainly maintain that. But I think the biggest key is looking at a, what's called a body condition score. Uh, I prefer a nine-point scale versus five. Uh, so really, the, so you guys can Google that out there, a uh, body score. But anything between four or five is ideal. Anything above that would be considered getting to the obese side. Anything below that would be considered really too skinny, too lean. We want to fatten them up. Um, customers should be able to look at their dog's profile from the side and not be able to count their ribs. That's a little skinny. Um, if you stand above your dog and, and look down its back, it, it should taper into a little waistline. That's a sign of a, a great weight for a dog. For feeding, uh, certainly, you know, there are tons of guidelines, and we're going to do a separate podcast on how to feed our animals and how much to feed. But just as a quick overview, they're all starting points because everyone's metabolism is different. So starting off with the guideline and adjusting to where your dog's ideal metabolism, activity level, age, there's so many parameters that come into that that affect the kilocaloric needs of that animal. Having that guideline and then adjusting, we can put some impacts into that. And there's some other bigger industry topics, but we can have another session on in-depth information regarding that. As far as overweight dogs, is there a specific protein that you would maybe recommend starting with? That's a common question again. Yeah, the meat source to start with, it'd have to be the overall fat content of the formula itself. Uh, You know, historically... You know, duck is considered a higher fat meat. Certainly lamb could be a higher fat meat, but I have seen some formulas out there in the market that their lamb is, is okay in, in fat content, meaning 10%. Ideally, you know, turkey would be considered really lean. Rabbit, but of course that's a you know, cost prohibitive for a lot of folks, but maybe turkey, it's one of our leaner meats that they can use and start with that. And I know you're going to love this next question here. Um, we get this from new customers, people who are what I would call raw curious, and they want to know if they can feed raw food to their puppy and if it's safe. Yes, and yes, and yes. Um, now, I do say that. I want to add some caution. You know, because they are developing immune system, uh, you have to really, you know, get a, a trusted source. Certainly if you're a home cooker and you're, you're getting meat, because their immune systems uh, aren't as robust, you're, you potentially uh, uh, could cause some issues uh, with pathogens, but for a healthy dog, no. So for puppies, um, you know, to be purely safe, you can gently cook the food up till they're about four months just to give their immune system time to build up uh, or certainly purchase products that um, that have gone through some pathogen control steps to eliminate any of that risk. Uh, certainly we here at, at Cali Raw uh, do that. Um, so yes, you can feed raw to your puppy. Okay. And at what age would you recommend starting a puppy on a raw dog food diet? As soon as you get them. As soon as you get them. 
right? right? They've been weaned from mom. Yep. So technically, mom then, um, in, in, if we're looking at our forefather wolves, and, uh, that, you know, the mom, after weaning, she regurgitates the food. So in essence, it's kind of been bathed in acid, so it's kind of been cooked. So she goes from weaning to regurgitated raw foods. Uh, so when you get your puppy home at eight, nine weeks, gradually make the transition. Now, puppies haven't had a, a lifetime of poor nutrition. They tend to handle the switch a little bit better. I still would like to set folks up for a longer transition, just for pure safety reasons and success reasons. They may adjust much sooner and you're off to the races sooner. That's great. I just don't want to set expectations that, oh, it only takes two days. But you know, when you get the puppy home, They'll probably come with the food that the breeder was feeding. You do a little mix, the transition. We'll cover that more in detail. But, yeah, as soon as you get them, you can make the switch. Okay, so the next question here, um, one that we face quite often and I know is a hot topic in the market. What if my veterinarian says not to feed raw dog food? Then we always want relationships with our vets, and I, I think they are now – and for me, is being in the us, being in the, the fresh food industry, you know, there's really two camps of veterinarians. There's holistic veterinarians, and then there's more traditional veterinarians. You know, the two camps have always, you know, holistic, very supportive. So one, you should always have a holistic veterinarian in your toolbox. But you also want to maintain a relationship with uh, a, a more traditional practice because most holistic vets aren't doing surgeries and things, so you want that relationship. But I think to start is, why, Doc? Why don't you want me feeding that? Um, you know, I've seen over the years where they really haven't come up with anything new against raw food. It's certainly, oh, it's ill-properly balanced. Well, uh, most commercial raw products on the market are really well formulated. I think that statement is more geared to the, the home preparers, uh, uh, the do-it-yourself types, or it is a pathogen risk. But if the company is taking steps that can control that, and ideally really for a healthy dog, non-compromised immune system, the pathogens are a non-issue. Now, certainly, yes, they can get salmonosis. Um, they can get some of the, these bugs that we see. But for a healthy animal, it's usually a non-issue. And then for lack of evidence, they are coming out with some true peer-reviewed studies. I, I know there's a, a veterinarian out of, I believe she's out of Finland, that has uh, either just released a, a raw food study proving some of the benefits but I think in time, there are institutions out there, and that's working on getting that peer-reviewed data out there to put that to bed. But over the years, they haven't come out with anything new. It's ill-properly formulated. Well, that's really not an issue. You know, a reputable company, it's going to be complete and balanced. The pathogen risk, if they're doing things right, sourcing properly, treating it good in the production facility, and then getting to you as soon as after manufacture, you don't really have any risks. So, you know, for any vet that says yes, I can show you a vet that's going to say uh, Any vet that says no, I can show you any vet that's going to say yes. Okay, so our next question. Uh, this customer here is a new customer, and she states that her dog is very picky. What is the best way to introduce and maybe even transition the picky dog to raw food? We do hear this a lot, and that is a good question. Because... Pickiness, you know, here's a dog that certainly if they're coming from kibble, you know, that's eating a highly processed, low protein, high carb, no moisture diet to something that has higher protein, low carb, high moisture diet. It could be a little intimidating to those guys. 
and certainly see smaller dogs tend to be a little more pickier than our larger dogs. But always go slow. There's a lot of tricks we can do in that transition. Serve it on a plate. Serve it in a new area. But you as the, the caretaker, the pet parent, if you will, you have to be excited. So it'd be like, oh, Brandine, you're like, oh, look, honey, look what I have for you. Oh, you're going to be excited to try that. You need to be excited about doing it just as much. They're going to pick up on that energy. If you're cautious and skeptical, they're going to pick that up, and that's just enough to turn them off. Now, we really have to understand our dogs. So just because they may not scarf it down at that moment doesn't mean they didn't like it. Maybe they just weren't hungry at that time. So a lot of times people may interpret that as, oh, he didn't like it at all. You got to give it some time. Start slow. 25% of Cali Raw to me, 75% of the kibble. Or even just put it on a little cracker just a little bit. Get them get the exposure to it. Um, we found some other cases. Gently heating the uh, Cali Raw uh, can make a difference. You're releasing some of the fat molecules, creating a little more flavor profiles, aromas for them. Uh, we've had success with that. You know, sprinkling a little... You know, bonita flakes, Parmesan cheese is all right as long as it's low sodium. I'm okay with the toppers. Uh, you just don't want to entrain your dog that that's the only way they're going to eat it. But if that's some coaching needed to get them to get onto a better diet, then for a limited time, sure, why not? We found using some of those techniques, and, and there's some more that you can just call in and, and ask, and we'll be glad to share what we find helps the finicky eaters. And then you had mentioned lightly cooking. Um, I wanted to get a little bit more specific with that because I know you have some, some instructions of the best way to do that. What would you recommend? Sure. In a perfect world and following uh, traditional Chinese medicine, steaming or poaching are the more non-invasive ways to, to reheat foods while maintaining the qi or the energy property uh, of that. Um, steaming would, would be the, the most benign. Poaching would come in second, but then you have that liquid and anything that's water-soluble, and your water-soluble vitamins are going to leach into that liquid, so you want to make sure you reserve that. That can be a lot of work for folks, so we find the easiest way to reheat Cali Raw is saute pan, a little bit of water so it doesn't stick, medium-high heat uh, for six to eight minutes. So basically, you're heating the outsides, putting some color, but still maintaining a little bit of pinkness in the centers, and that seems to do well. We, we touched a little bit on it before and about bacteria being a non-issue for dogs, but let's talk a little bit more about that because that is a major concern for a lot of people who are raw curious and wanting to feed a fresher diet but may have been deterred by their veterinarian or something they read online. So what would be your advice and education in regards to bacteria in dogs? It's a non-issue for most dogs. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a regulated uh, industry that is regulated by the FDA that has a zero tolerance. Uh, where the USDA, for instance, if when you go to the grocery store, you can buy chicken, and it's going to be assumed that there is going to be salmonella. But it's also assumed that there's going to be a kill step uh, of that product before you would eat that as a human, cooking it in some fashion. Raw food is considered RTE, ready to eat, so there's not a, a kill step in the house uh, to mitigate any potential pathogen risk. Uh, so the FDA... Uh, who regulates pet food, has a zero tolerance. So at Cali Raw, how we approach that is we HPP our products to minimize any of that potential risk of bacteria that may cause harm. But in essence, I mean, you have a dog, you have a yard, your dog's out there burying things and eating it, you see there's no issue, 
a healthy animal, these can be non-issues. I'm not downplaying the fact that they cannot get salmonosis or, or uh, infected with listeria, uh, but in most cases, a healthy dog, it's a non-issue. So you're saying that the chicken that I buy <coughs> from the grocery store has a higher risk of salmonella than raw dog food that's gone through HPP? Yes. I mean, I've seen estimates, and it varies from report to report, but manufacturers are allowed a certain percentage uh, of positive tests uh, on their poultry, and it's somewhere it can be as high as, uh, you know, I've seen some, some report in it, uh, upwards of, you know, 65% of all chicken uh, is contaminated with salmonella. Uh, I think it's a little bit lower than that, but yes, as a general rule of thumb, I would think your potential uh, for salmonella in grocery store chicken is going to be higher. So for a consumer who is educated and aware that bacteria is, for the most part, a non-issue for dogs and may be concerned about uh, their own risk in that, they can feel com more confident with a food that a raw dog food that has undergone HPP than any raw food that they have in the grocery store. Most certainly. Yeah, I agree with that statement. I mean, there's risk in everything we do. We have to look at the risk and outweigh that to the benefit and decide if that works for you and your lifestyle. There's certainly some cases where, you know, I prefer a, a, they're cooking the Cali raw at home. If there's young children, you know, a toddler age that are crawling around the floor and they can get to the bowl. Uh, certainly we, we hear about pediatricians talking to pregnant females uh, about staying away from a cat litter box. So there are some cases where it may be more prudent to, to cook the food, but overall, um, you know, uh, the risk is, is low. This next question here is a popular one. We have a lot of customers and, and even interested customers who really want to feed their dog a raw diet, but in, in some cases it's just cost prohibitive for some people. Um, in that case, would you recommend supplementing raw dog food and what would be your guidance and advice? Oh, of course. Anytime we can incorporate better nutrition through, through food, I'm all for that. And I get the, the cost factor and certainly having large giant breed dogs or even some folks have multiple large giant breed dogs. But feeding 50% of their diet calorie raw, you're going to achieve many of the health benefits that if you were on 100% and you're still going to save some money. Now, there are better kibbles than others. You know, talk with your, your local retailer of what they would consider a high quality kibble. Um, and then you can mix the Cali raw 50-50, feed one in the morning, one at night, vice versa. It doesn't really matter. But you will still see many of the same health benefits, a better skin and coat, fresher breath. Uh, weight control can be in play as long as you're not free feeding. You know, you're not filling up that bowl of the dry food and, and giving a, a tightly controlled portion uh, of the fresh food. You'll see some energy levels increased, um, longer period of time, uh, less shedding. Uh, one of the key proponents of, of, of raw diet is, you know, smaller, less odiciferous stools. You'll see some changes in the stool, um, but I don't think it's going to be the true impact. Uh, but still, it's, you know, they're utilizing more of the nutrition. Biggest thing is you're going to reduce your vet bills, so you'll have more money to spend on a better quality diet. And as you see more improvements, they're going to want to do more. And we're here to help you do more. So if you have any questions, call us, ask us. We're here to help. Absolutely. Okay, so next question is regards to 
dogs being, you know, dogs that are more active versus dogs who are less active and how that affects the amount of food that they should be eating? Good question. And we certainly will have a separate podcast on this, but there's many factors that go into feeding our animals, the breed, neuter status, activity level, the stress in, in their environment, age, all kind of play into their caloric requirements. So if they're at a good weight, um, you know, we'd want them to help guide them through that. And every dog's an individual. So you know, there's some questions that we'd want to know in the background to help them uh, decide how much really to feed that animal. Uh, certainly, uh, we would want you know, the breed, aid, and weight. Some, you know, some history, maybe the environment, are they indoor, are they outdoor only information, any medical issues, what are they currently feeding, how much, general impressions to, for them, if they can get access to a body score so you can relay that you know, on a nine-point chart, oh, my dog looks to be a six. Well, that helps us guide in, in some of the caloric needs. And then certainly look at all the treats you're feeding. You know, you don't want treats to be more than 8, maybe 10% at most of the dog's intake of calories. So you got to watch that treats. There's not a one-size guideline where I could say, Grandine, your border collie is going to eat X amount of pounds at this weight. It just doesn't work that way. A 40-pound dog doesn't eat twice that of a 20-pound dog. Feeding guidelines are not linear. We always like to educate customers and let them know to monitor and adjust as needed because every dog is different and their metabolism varies. Also want to mention, we actually do have a nine-point body score chart on the Cali Law website, www.calilaw.com. Under guides, you can find that score chart. You can see where your dog lines up, and you're welcome to reach out to us if we can help in any way. Uh, our final question, this is a good one. We kind of saved uh, the most in-depth question for last hot topic in 2019 and 2024, pet food, uh, DCM, DCM and dogs. Yeah, that is the hot topic, and, and the FDA has continued to keep out putting uh, out information. And, and truly, you know, when I'm talking with some of my colleagues and my trusted veterinarians in the industry, you know, the underlying cause of DCM is still really, truly unknown, but it's thought to have a, a genetic component Certainly large breeds are more frequently affected by DCM than smaller breeds. And certainly taurine deficiency is the underlying cause. To quote one of my, let me back up. So, you know, diets that were implicated in the FDA study, which Cali Raw was not, were, were all kibble-based. And they frequently list potatoes and multiple legumes, such as peas, lentils, and other pulses, uh, which are seeds of legumes, starred in fiber derivatives early or high up in the ingredient deck. So ingredients are listed on a label by weight. So the more, they're number one, two, or three. So the higher up in the deck, the more that there are in the product, indicating that they are you know, the main ingredients. Um, to quote one of my favorite veterinarians, Dr. Karen Becker, you know, grain-free, low-protein commercial diets are very high in carbohydrates, which displace amino acids. They also contain anti-nutrients, saphonins, trypsin inhibitors, phytates, and lectins that may interfere with the taurine absorption. So when we're adding in high heat processing using manufactured kibble, it's not surprising that these diets are an inadequate source of taurine for many dogs. I think that was a powerful quote from Dr. Becker. Most foods on, on the market today, including Cali Raw, have low inclusion rates of starchy veggies. 
and certainly do not include pea or, or tapioca starches, which were, were named in, in some of the earlier reports that, that were out. Um, so a well-balanced formula like Cali Raw that's high in, in protein, moderate in balanced fats, and very low in carbohydrates, we're thereby reducing any implications of the carbs interfering with the, with the taurine uh, absorption. Since taurine is deemed a non-essential amino acid for dogs, AFCO does not have a requirement for taurine. So most manufacturers do not include taurine. Now, we may see that change in the coming years. Uh, that's something we're, we're all watching as formulators to see if AFCO is going to have a, a minimum requirement of taurine for our dogs. But most dogs convert, uh, can make their own taurine. Cats, on the other hand, are another story. It's one of the things that makes them uh, an added, uh, an obligate carnivore. You know, so Cali Raw, we're getting in our Ruminant Rebbe products, there's naturally occurring sources of, of taurine. And as an average, I, I want to say our red meat products have about 13 grams per thousand kilocalories of taurine. Poultry products is a little bit higher. So our chicken and turkey averages between 0 0.20 and 0 0.30 grams per thousand kcal. Um, so they are getting that. Our puppy formulas, we include taurine. Um, the amino acid taurine in those formulas, so it's not a concern for the growing puppies. It's a great antioxidant as well. You know, if anyone really has a concern, or until we certainly have more information from the industry or the FDA on the subject, you know, if you have a concern about taurine, our recommendation, especially if you have a high risk breed, or you're cooking your meals to death, like you're cooking ground round at home or suspect a low taurine absorption uh, issue in your dog, I would just recommend to have them feed a can of sardines on a weekly basis. They'll get more than enough taurine needed. Marine products are well known to be a, a good source of taurine. Great information for our listeners out there. Um, one thing I want to just kind of clarify, right? So there's been this, this scare with grain-free <clears throat> food, and a lot of people have misunderstood that to mean that dogs need grain. Can you clarify on that? You know, the grain-free food is obviously a newer trend, and, and it's you know been marketed within the last five to six years. And it's quite possible the high starch or carb content in these diets that deplete the taurine levels or makes the taurine less bioavailable. And certainly we know grain-free kibble is higher in both carbohydrates and purified starches like the pea, potato, and tapioca starches we're seeing. So they don't know if there's an inhibitor taking place in the conversion pathways of the dog absorbing that. I don't think, and I haven't seen science saying here's the smoking gun of what's causing this. There's still a lot of information out there. You know, grains, I think, overall uh, have gotten a bad rap uh, in the industry. There are certainly some that are better than others, like I would feed my dog a brown rice versus I would feed a white rice. You know, that's going to be more bleached and processed. You know, pea protein, maybe not so much, but peas are fine. So it all depends on the processing of that original ingredient or what is being stripped away in that processing. That would be a cause of why I wouldn't want to feed that. But to say grains are bad, I think we could be selling our, our pets short on that. There are cases where they can be a benefit. Well, that wraps up our top 10 questions for this podcast. I want to thank James Pendergast for being with us today and helping us educate the dog lovers and pet parents out there. Uh, we will be bringing you a lot more information and podcasts in the future. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.